I want to thank um, Scott, uh, Dr. Scott Finch, pretty go on the back, um, for his work this morning and for the choir. Thank you all for being here. It's a traveling choir. Those of you that are visiting, we don't have this every week. Um, would that we that we did, but we don't, and so we get to enjoy it. This is a treat for us, like eating dessert after a good meal. Um, so praise the Lord for you all, and thank you all for being here. Come back anytime you want. Don't, don't rush. Um, I was excited when I heard we were getting the choir, because this is the first and I think probably the last time I'll ever get to preach to the choir. I, I had to say that. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to do it. I was thinking, like, man, you know, there's, there's a choir joke somewhere. But um, Colossians chapter 3. Isn't God, God's word wonderful? Um, every week, um, every day, I should say, every day I, I come, um, when I wake up, I, I take a copy of God's word. You know, we have like 50 of them in our home. Um, and they're like spread out everywhere. But I grab a copy of God's word and I read it. And, and it doesn't matter how I wake up, when I read God's word and I meditate on it, it lodges deep in my soul and in my mind, and it just does something profound throughout the day. And in some days, it needs to break me of my pride, and it does that. Some days, it needs to build me up because I feel uh, my insecurities and my, my slowness. Some days, it gives me profound wisdom at a time when I desperately need wisdom. I, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not meditating on God's word, let me just tell you, you're missing out. You really are. I mean, there is so much treasure in this book. My only sadness is I don't have enough hours in the day to just sit down and meditate on it constantly. Because I, I never regret the time that I spend meditating and sitting on God's word. So I, that's just an encouragement to you. That's not, I hope you don't feel a guilt in that. Like, man, I don't have an hour. Like, look, even if you have like five minutes, do it. Um, and, and receive the blessing that comes from just reading something from God's word and rolling that around in your mind. You won't regret it, I promise you. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Now let's read God's word, and then let's uh, dive in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. Holy Spirit, come now and take the word and lodge it deep into their hearts. They they won't get everything, but give them something that will produce joy and peace and freedom that can only be found in the gospel. Give them something that when they leave here, they love their neighbors more, that they're more repentant, that they're more self 
sacrificial. Isn't something that when they leave here, they remember that there are lost people that need the gospel. Give them something to rejuvenate them and set them on a path this week where they'll be in sweet union and communion with you. Only you can do that. I cannot. And so I beg you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you were here, if you've been here throughout our slow march through the book of Colossians, and just for some of you that are wondering, at some point I will finish. Um, I have an end date, but that end date keeps getting pushed back because there's so many things in here that I actually want to talk about. And maybe some of that is selfish, but indulge me a little bit. Um, but, but the book itself is amazing, and, and it's really been life-changing for me. It really has been. As I plod through it, again, meditating on God's word, it's been life-changing. So last week, we talked about the freedom that we have in Christ. We talked about the freedom that we get um, if we remember not to be captive, held captive by philosophies of this world that, that, have no, that do not help us um, to stop indulging in the flesh, right? Like they rob us of our freedom in Christ. That's what we talked about last. This week, I want to talk about um, what, what you know, theologians and others call being heavenly-minded. Being heavenly-minded. As opposed to being earthly-minded, being heavenly-minded. Um, Jeremiah Burroughs, who is a Puritan pastor, preacher, wrote an entire, like, journal article. It's like a mini book, basically, on verse number two. Verse number two alone, he uh, set your mind on things above, not the things that are on earth. And he wrote an entire book on it. And here's what Jeremiah Burroughs said that struck me. He said, from the moment that each and every one of us was born, from the moment we were born, our minds were infected with the love of this world. In other words, from the moment we're born, we are hopelessly in love with this world. We're hopelessly earthly-minded. And he said that the, more, the longer we grow, the longer we live, our love for this earth and our earthly-mindedness becomes stronger and stronger and stronger to the point, he says, even when we are exposed to the gospel, even when we get the gospel, he says, and I want to quote him because it's such a beautiful statement. He says, the world so deeply affected us that we become unmindful of the superior luster and glory of heavenly objects. That even when we hear the gospel, even when we try to become heavenly minded, we're so impacted by this world and the love of this world that we become unmindful of the superior luster and glory of heavenly objects. In other words, our, the sin, the, the theologians call it the noetic effect of sin, the, the effect that sin has on our mind. I remember a lady in our church used to call it stinking thinking, right? The, the impact of stinking thinking or the noetic effect of sin, right, if you want to be theologically correct, is that we are hopelessly dedicated in our mind to this world. I remember several years ago, I, I saw an illustration, and, and some of you have seen it before. I'm going to use it today. It's not the rock that fell. It's actually this rope. And it's the famous rope illustration, right? 
Now, now it, it's, it's on par with the seashells, uh, you know, the seashells illustration of John Piper, but, but it has different, different ways that you can look at it. But here's how the rope illustration works. The rope illustration says that, let me get out the rope, should have practiced this beforehand, but all of this, all of this is eternity. Like, let's pretend that this whole long rope right here is eternity, and this is how it works, right? So this is eternity, everybody with me? This is eternity, right? And right here is our life. This is how the rope illustration works. This is our life, right? This is our life, this white piece, all of this is eternity. And here's how it works. To be earthly minded is focusing on just this part of the rope, see? What, what does that mean? Well, it means that from the moment we're born to the point that we were born, all we think about is this portion of our life. Like, you know, as little kids, we, we say to ourselves, like, man, I can't wait till my birthday so I could get a gift, or I can't wait for Christmas until I get a gift. I can't wait until I thir turn 13 so I could be a teenager. I can't wait until I turn 16 so I could, I could learn how to drive, right? I can't wait until I turn 18 so I can go to college. I can't wait until I turn 21 so I could drink. I can't wait until I turn 22 or, or whenever so I could graduate college and get a job. And I can't wait until I get a family. I can't wait until I establish my life. And I can't wait until I work, you know, up until like this point in my life so I could have a fat retirement and spend this bit of my life enjoying it. Because you work all of this bit, right? <laughs> like, like, I mean, I sat down and I thought about it. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, we work all this whole portion of our life just to enjoy this portion of our life. So, so earthly mindedness is when we focus on this portion of our life alone. Heavenly mindedness is when we become a Christian and we start thinking about eternity. Now, here's the point, here's the point that Jeremiah Burroughs makes. We are so narrow-minded, right, earthly-minded, that we focus just on this, but we miss all of this. That's the point of this illustration, right? Now, hear me. I, look, I, I'm just like you. There are times when I only focus on this. And, and can I say this? I don't, there's an aspect of earthly-mindedness that's necessary. I have to think about how I'm going to care for for. My children, my wife, chances are, you know, I'm going to die before my wife. I've eaten too much red meat not to, right? I'm going to die before her. And I, and I am concerned about what's going to happen to her when I die or my children. So there's an aspect of this world that we have to pay attention to. But the point that borrows and, and most importantly that Paul is saying is we spend so much of our life focusing on this portion of our life that we forget we have eternity to live. We have all of this to think about. And so, and so we go about our lives just focusing on this small portion when it's all of this we have to take in consideration. And so what Paul is saying here isn't just like, hey, you know what, it'll be nice if you think about heavenly things. No, what Paul is saying here is this. You can't help but think about heavenly things. This is actually detrimental to your life 
to only think about this world and not this world that's left to come. You know, this is why Jesus got so angry at the Pharisees. You know, he's, he's healing people um, at the temple and, and he's, you know, trying to heal the man with the withered hand. And they're sitting there, they're standing there wondering about their power like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. Isn't that against the law? And Jesus got frustrated at them like, what are you talking about? Like this man's hands need to be healed. And you're worrying about your power? See, that's the very definition of earthly-mindedness. Like, we only care about ourselves and what happens to us here, but we forget the grand scheme of what the Lord is trying to do. And so the big question that's before us as we look at this passage is what's the cure? What what is the cure for earthly-mindedness? How do we stop just focusing on this world and start thinking about all of this that is still left to come. When Paul tells us in this passage, I'm going to try to be brief, because in my mind, the passage actually speaks for itself. So look back at Colossians chapter 2, I mean 3, and here's what Paul says. The first thing Paul says, the first way that we conquer earthly-mindedness is that we have to realize that as a Christian, We have to die to the old way of thinking and realize we've been resurrected to a new way of thinking. Notice what Paul says here in chapter 3, verse uh, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here's the point that Paul is making. Look. If you've been, Paul uses the language of resurrection and death, or life and death, death and life, constantly in this passage. Have you noticed that? Look at chapter, if you go back to chapter 2, in verse number 12, he said, you've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. Then in chapter number 2, verse 20, he says, if you have died to the elementary principles of the world. Then in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, Later on, he says, for you have died, in verse number three, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ. Constantly, he uses this illustration of death and life. Here's why. Because to, for, in order for us to stop just focusing on this portion of our life and start focusing on all this portion of our life, Paul says a death needs to happen. An actual death needs to happen. A death to the old way of thinking. Do you realize that salvation is a matter of life and death? You know, I meet so many people who think that salvation, when they get saved, when Christ renews them, that the whole project of salvation, the whole project of this life, is that when we become united to Christ, there's a spiritual upgrade. Like so many people say, you know what? I get a spiritual upgrade, almost like getting a new iPhone. Right? Look, Christ didn't die so you can get a spiritual upgrade. He died to put to death specific things that are in you. Do I have that power? Did I just do that like that? I'm sorry. Right? But Christ died to put to death something inside of you. 
Why did he do that? Because if he doesn't do that, that way of thinking or that thing inside of you will kill you. Do you understand that earthly mindedness, what makes it such a sin, what makes it so detrimental, is it's a way of thinking that destroys you. It literally, it literally narrows your thinking. It narrows your ability to understand the big picture. And Paul says it's incredibly detrimental to you. One of, um, there's an excellent example of this with the children of Israel. Remember the children of Israel? They, they viewed their removal from Exodus, I mean from Egypt, as a kind of upgrade, right? And how do you say, Pastor, how do you know this? Remember when they left Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and then things got a little rough. And what did they say? They said, would that we go back to Egypt so that we can eat the leeks and the garlic. Now, I hate leeks and garlic, right? But that's beside the point. Why, why did Moses highlight that, this longing for leeks and garlic? Moses is showing us, all of us, how detrimental earthly-minded thinking is. Are you kidding me? Leeks and garlic? Don't you realize that they took your babies and threw them into the water and killed them? Do you realize that they beat you mercilessly? Don't you realize that they killed you at will? That they put heavy burdens on you? And yet the only thing you could think of when things got a little rough was the leeks and garlic? But don't you see? That's what earthly-mindedness does. It totally obscures our thinking to where we can't think straight. I mean, if, if I was there, I would slap someone side the head and say, don't you remember the whip? Don't you remember how we suffered in Egypt? Why the heck are you talking about leeks and garlic? But remember, earthly-mindedness. And so often, we as God's people get stuck in these petty little thoughts that only pertain to this life without us thinking about the big picture of what God is trying to do in our life today. You know, I, I recently watched a documentary on Auschwitz. And, and every now and then, I watch these documentaries to remind me that evil is a real thing and has real consequences. Sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that evil is an actual real thing that destroys us. And so every now and then, I watch things like this. And it was amazing to me, these people that were in the concentration camp, they, uh, as they retold their stories, they began to cry. And as they showed, like, the picture of, the, of their, like, number that they tattooed in their arms, right? They, 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 they looked at that, and they began to cry. You know what never happened? I never saw one of them say, man, I really wish I was back there. I really wish I was in that situation again because, man, we had it so good. Okay, because they understand that it was death. That was a death camp. The point that Paul is trying to get us to see here is that the way that we think, if you think earthly-minded, if you think like an unbeliever, 
that that is a form of a death camp. And that you cannot, you cannot under any circumstances go back to that way of thinking. That's why he uses language here that's so extreme. You have died to the old way of thinking and living in this world. And now you've been resurrected in him, in Christ. The whole point of redemption is to bring us in alignment with heavenly mindedness, the way that our God and Savior thinks. We can't afford to be looking at the world and have our minds fixed and focused on the world. We must, in every way possible, think about what God wants and the heavenly realities that come with that. Let me say, let me mention one more thing. And, and this kind of hit me um, as I was reading the end of Colossians. Now, I gave some homework that you all should read through the book once a week. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who's actually done it. Because I know you all are busy. But here's what's interesting to me. This idea of being heavenly minded and earthly minded has really powerful consequences in the world. And it did to the people of Colossians. If you look at the book of Colossians, chapter 4, Paul says something that it's easy to miss. But chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul says this. Um, he talks about uh, Tychicus, and he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Pause for a moment. You know, Onesimus is the same dude that Paul sent back to who? Philemon. That's why if you look at a commentary on the book of Colossians, Philemon is usually right on the side at for that very reason. And notice what Paul is saying. If you read Philemon, Paul, Paul uh, tells Philemon that because he's been um, reborn in Christ, because he's, been, he's a new creature in Christ, when Onesimus comes to him, he no longer should treat him as a bondservant or a slave. But how? As a brother. Do you realize how much of a shift that is? He goes from looking at this man as purely property that he owns, that escaped. And now Paul is saying, because you are in Christ, you should think differently and act differently. And that should have a profound impact in your relationship with Onesimus. Now look, this has practical implications for us. Heavenly mindedness helps us to be better parents. It helps us to be better spouses. It helps us to be better in our dating relationships. It helps us to be better students in every area of our life. Thinking about what God wants and what God has called us to do makes us a better Christian. That's the power of heavenly mindedness. It changes our vision and our perspective regarding every relationship that we have. Now, real quick, what is the second, second way? We must prioritize this new mindset. Notice Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. What's Paul's point here? The whole concept of seek and set, both of those are imperatives. They're commands. Paul is commanding us to prioritize um, 
thinking about heavenly things and seeking about doing them. Now, why does Paul says, why does Paul say, seek the things that are above and set your mind on things above? For this one reason, Paul knows that whatever you and I imagine we do, whatever you and I imagine we do, think about it. The other day I passed um, an advertisement um, for chicken. And the chicken looked delicious. I mean, I'm serious. I really did. I was shocked. It was like a piece of fried chicken. You know, the devil knows my weakness. And it was a piece of fried chicken, and, and they, they amplified it, right? So it looked juicy. You could almost see the fat and the grease coming out of it. And so I looked at that, and then I looked away, and I kept driving. And do you know what I thought about all day? How much you want to guess? How many? What do you want to wager? You know what I've thought about all day? Fried chicken. See, you know what? Advertisers know this, but Christians seem to be lost to this. What, why do they show you? Why do they amplify images? Because they know whatever you imagine, you do. Have you ever watched, like, some of you that have kids, but you don't need to have kids to know this. Have you ever like gone to the movies with somebody and then they watch a character that's really cool and then when they come out they start acting like that character? Don't pretend like you've never done that. <laughs> Some of you looking at me like, no, never. I'm my own person. I don't I struggle with those insecurities. But here's the reality. Why, why is that? Because that image of that person was burned into our mind. Why do you think John Lennon said, imagine all the people living for today? John Lennon knows that, right? Why do you think Jesus said, seek the things that are above? Because Jesus knows that. Now hear me, if Jesus, John Lennon, and Paul agree on something, you know. I mean, come on. Like, you know it has to be true, right? All of them know the same thing, and here it is. What you imagine, you do. I had a friend one day, I was talking to him, and, and he was just wrestling with some spiritual things. And finally, he, in a moment of clarity, he said, Dennis, I, I have to confess to you, the only thing I think about is going on my boat with a six-pack of beer and fishing. And he says, that's what, that's what drives me. I'm, I work for the weekend. When I work, I just want to buy a case of beer, fill up my boat, go on the water and fish. He's like, and the scary thing is, my family is not with me. Completely cut his family off. And I looked at him and I said, that's your problem. You're imagining the wrong things. You're thinking about the wrong things. And because you're imagining the wrong things and thinking the wrong things, you're going to act that out. You know, one of the first things a good counselor will do when you sit down with them is get you to think about your imagination, the things that you think about. That's why they ask you all those questions, right? Because they want to hear the things that you think about. Because they know, they know that the things you think about are the things that drive you. Just like how I saw that fried chicken, it was in my mind, and guess what I ate for lunch? This isn't a secret. Everyone knows this. Right? Why do you think Paul is saying, seek the things above, set your mind on things above? Because Paul knows that what you imagine, you will do. And if you think, 
and imagine about Christ and his glory and his majesty, if you think and set your mind on the things above, then you will act in light of eternity. If you think about all of this, right, you will act that out in this world. But if you only think about this, guess what's going to happen? Of course, you're going to act that out in the world. That's why Paul says here, set your mind on things above. Seek the things of the bu- uh, above, where Christ is. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Why is he giving this big, grand picture of eternity and heaven and glory and the majesty of God? Because he wants your imagination to be captivated by that. And what happens when your imagination is captivated by that? Man, we will set the world on fire. We'll change our communities. Well, first of all, we'll change our homes. We'll change our communities. We'll change our country. This has powerful ramifications for the Christian. Let me ask you a question. What captures your imagination? What do you think about? You know, um, Getting back to Jeremiah Burroughs, he gives five sort of like quick tests and checks so we could check if we're earthly-minded and heavenly-minded. He asks the following question. What do you think about most often? What do you highly prize and esteem? What do you seek and find interesting? What do you make time to enjoy? What do you long to possess? Those are, those are good questions. I'm a pastor, am I, am I heavenly-minded or earthly-minded? Ask yourself those five questions. What do you think about most often? What do you highly prize or esteem? What do you seek and find interest in? What do you make time to enjoy? And what do you long to possess? That will let you know if you're earthly-minded or heavenly-minded. Now, um, Let's wrap this up. I want to I wrap this up by saying, how do we, nuts and bolts, how do we prevent ourselves from, from becoming earthly-minded? Well, the first thing uh, Paul tells us elsewhere in 1 Corinthians is that we need to take every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Christ. That's the first thing. I love that imagery. But Paul is a genius with imagery. Because Paul didn't say, I want you to hold, take it captive and kill it. Because there are some things you don't want to kill, right? No, Paul says you take every thought captive and bring it under the Lordship of Christ. What does that mean? That whenever we have a thought, an aberrant thought, a sinful thought, a wicked thought, we take it captive. In other words, we think on it and we refer it back to the glory of God in Scripture. Take it captive. Hold it and bring it under the Lordship of Christ. Does this way of thinking jive with what I know Christ wants me to do? That's a powerful reality. Here's another reality. Paul says that if you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the very next verse says this, that when you and I do that, when you and I just desire to have a heavenly mindset, 
uh, Paul says that our minds are now or are in the process of being renewed, right, by God himself. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed to the, of the, by the renewing of your mind. What leads to the transformation of our mind? Setting our bodies as living sacrifice. Those are two things that are glorious. Now, what's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is this. Simply desire to think and live your life in light of eternity. Think beyond this. Don't be small-minded. You know, like, I, I, I read unbelievers all the time, and they say, you know, Christians are small-minded people. You know what's small-minded? Only thinking about this world. You know what's open-minded? Thinking about the world to come. Thinking about the world to come. Trusting our lives with Christ and following his plan. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. We thank you that in it we see truth and we see life. Lord, be with all of us. We, we all are infected by the reality of being earthly-minded. And we need your grace and your power to be heavenly-minded. Lord, we cannot do it without you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to do it. So help us to desire it in the very least. And watch you do the work in and through. Be, be with these people. They're your people. In Jesus' name, amen.